Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. At the beginning of his book on contemplative prayer, Richard Rohr gives us this reflection, which he titles Inherent Unmarketability. How do you make attractive that which is not? How do you sell emptiness, vulnerability, and non-success? How do you talk dissent when everything is about assent? How can you possibly market letting go in a consumerist culture? This is not going to work. This is exactly the message of our gospel passage for today. Jesus and his disciples are on the road and they are heading toward Jerusalem. And for a couple of chapters now, Jesus has been doing some pretty serious teaching. He said, take up your cross and follow me for what will it profit you to gain the whole world and forfeit your life? And he said, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And he's spoken of his suffering and death three times, three times in two chapters most recently in the verses just prior to our passage for today. There Jesus tells the disciples, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be handed over to the chief priest and the scribes and they will condemn him to death. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. You would think in the midst of all this bummer news, the disciples would be dispirited. You would be right. In this same passage, we're told that those with Jesus on the road to Jerusalem were amazed and those who followed him were afraid. James and John, our dubious heroes for today, start thinking, you know, this gig was a lot more fun when we started. Back then, it was all healings and teachings and miracles and transfigurations, for crying out loud. Lately, it seems all we hear about is how hard it's going to be to get into God's kingdom. All we hear is about how things are going to get turned upside down in God's reign. What does that even mean? For this, we gave up lucrative jobs with clear career paths in the private sector. I think it's time for us to shake things up. I think it's time for us to change the mojo around here. And so James and John catch up to Jesus on the road and they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Oh, my stars. Not, you know, Jesus, we're wondering if you might be able to do us a favor or even Jesus, we have a proposal we'd like you to consider. No, just, hey, give us what we want. Jesus, who is obviously much more patient than I am, doesn't verbally slap them down. And don't think he couldn't do it if he wanted to. He's just recently called Peter Satan in a very similar situation. But no, just as he did with the rich young man from last week's gospel, he looks on James and John with love. And he says, what is it you want me to do for you? And not sensing the gift of grace, they blow right past him. Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Not anticipating that Jesus will soon be on the cross with a criminal on either side. 
They asked to be seated on his right and on his left. And Jesus tells them, you do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with a baptism with which I'm baptized? And they boldly say, we can. It's so hard for those of us who hear this story from the other side of the cross to understand how these guys still don't get it. In James and John's defense, it isn't just them. When the other disciples hear that these guys have gone to Jesus to request cabinet seats in the new kingdom, they are furious. And I don't think they're furious because they think they got it wrong. I think they're furious because James and John beat them to the punch. These guys want to be considered for those same glory positions. How did all of these guys get it so wrong? After all, they were there in Jesus' presence day in and day out. They saw him serving and healing, and they saw that he accrued no treasure or power for himself. They lived in this reality, and yet they were unable to understand that greatness in the kingdom comes through losing oneself and servanthood to all. But even as they lived in Jesus' presence and example, they still lived in the world. And the world has a totally different way of understanding greatness and power. The world says, get yours, because no one is looking out for you but you. And the world says, acquire all you can, experiences, money, stuff, because life is short and it is all about you. We have folks walking the corridors of power whose decisions rest on their next reelection campaign instead of what they believe will bring the greatest amount of good to the greatest amount of people. We have folks whose sole claim to prestige and fame comes out of their willingness to act bizarrely and speak shockingly to as wide an audience as possible. It is hard to swim in the soup of this world and still desire the life to which Christ calls us. We stand in this world with one hand grasping the paths to power as the world has laid them out and one hand clinging to Christ. And try as we might, there is no way to straddle the two. It's only when we're able to let go of the world's yardstick that we're able to move into the fullness of life in Christ. I think this is exactly where James and John stand. They are afraid just as the scripture tells us. They are afraid because Jesus is forcing them to let go of one of these. He's forcing them to move from the top-down, me-first way of the world to the bottom-up, others-first way of the kingdom. And in their fear, they make one final grasp at power by the old standards because they long for the security that it provides. We likewise find it hard to let go of the world's yardstick because it promises security. 
The scarier and more unpredictable this crazy world seems to be, the more we cling to its standard. We cling to our power and our stuff and our money because it helps us to feel secure. But Jesus beckons us to place our trust, our security in him. He tells us that the security of this world is a false security. He promises that in living a life like his, a life of sacrificially serving God and others, that we will find the security of God's kingdom. The promise of the gospel is that in the sacrifice of self for others, we will not only become a higher and better self, but the reign of God will continue to unfold. Here at St. Michael, we have entered our annual conversation around stewardship. This is a wonderful opportunity for us to take a step back and notice how we might be clinging to our stuff in an attempt to maintain our security. Committing to a financial gift that is sacrificial versus comfortable is a way of stepping out in trust that God will care for us, that God desires to be the source of our security. It is a significant step toward releasing our grasp of the world's yardstick and turning toward God's. In just a few minutes, we will profess our faith just as we did in our baptism, and we will participate in Christ's sacrificial giving of his body and blood in the Eucharist. We are, through these liturgical and sacramental actions, saying that we are able, through God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, to drink the cup that Christ drinks and to be baptized with the baptism that Christ has been baptized. The central liturgical practices of the church challenge our fear-driven quest for security. And they call us into the alternative way of Jesus. As we, in these words and actions, recommit ourselves to life in Christ, let us ask God to shape us into ones who live in service and sacrifice to others and on behalf of the kingdom. Let us ask God to help us let go of the world's yardstick. Let us help God to help us find our security in him. Amen.